Hey everybody, welcome to Cinemusts, the podcast where we debate the must-see status of the films included in the book 1001 Movies You Must See Before You Die, and listeners decide if they should be included on the list of essential cinema. I'm the reclusive director of this establishment, Mike Emmel, and there is no earthly way of knowing how happy I am to welcome my co-host for this episode. You guys may follow his show, The Best Picture Cast, every episode of which he records from deep within a scary tunnel. Making his first appearance on Cinemust is Kieran B. Kieran, how you doing, man? Mike, I am delighted to be on Cinemus, overjoyed, enraptured, entranced. Yes, I am. It's uh, it's great to talk to you, dude. It's uh, I love the podcast. I've been listening for a while, so it's exciting to be uh, on the airways with you here, being a part of it. Well, it's it's great to have you here, man. I'm really excited for this show, and um, right back at you with your show, The Best Picture Cast. I'm an Oscar nut, but I shouldn't take this away from you. I always ask uh, fellow podcasters to kind of give us a plug of their show. So The Best Picture, best picture Cast, what are you guys up to there? Yeah, man. So the Best Picture cast, we take a different Best Picture winner and we kind of roundtable it, deep dive it with a few of few different friends and family or whatnot, co-hosts. There's usually like three or four of us. And, you know, we, uh, we roundtable it and deep dive. You know, we go in long form. We talk about it. We hash it out. We ultimately try to figure out where it stands in the, in the lexicon with the other Best Picture winners. We don't go too much into the like, well, this should have lost to this. And this. it's not really like, about who should have won. We kind of just focus on each one. We do them in groups of 15 uh, seasons. So each season is a group of 15 movies. The end of the season, we rank those 15 within each other. And the idea is at the end, we'll get 92, 96, whatever it's up to at the time. We'll get a, a 1 to 90, and we'll know uh, what, what our definitive ranking is. If I could put you on the spot, I don't know if you want to share this, but do you have like a, a pending ranking now? Do you have like the best worst stack? Yeah, so we just finished our second season. So we've had the 30 movies that we did. And the uh, the collective number one was The Godfather. Uh, no real surprises there. Uh, Makes and sense, I believe, yeah. Yeah, I believe the number 30 in the mix was a battle between Cavalcade and a Broadway melody. So uh, some 1929 and some 1933 action. Yeah, I can get behind that. That's That's a stack that makes a lot of sense to me. Um, yeah, man, I, I love the show. I'm an Oscar nut. It's, it's always fun to me to dive back into some of these and some of these, you know, like Godfather, my hat's off to you. Cause I'm too terrified to ever tackle that. So uh, folks should definitely go check that show out. Um, where can everybody find you if they want to check out the best picture cast? Yeah, sure. So we're active on all social media platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook at best picture cast. Probably Twitter's our most active one. We do like fun little movie tournaments and whatnot over there. We kind of when we want to take a break from a, a Best Picture winner, we'll do a, a horror movie or we'll do an animated movie or a Christmas movie. Or right now we're doing our movies that are ranked under 50% on Rotten Tomatoes and we're, we're withering them down to see which one will, will take the crown there. And then that gets its own episode as if it were a Best Picture winner in itself. So it's at Best Picture Cast. At Best Picture Cast. Everybody go check it out. There's great audience interaction. The conversations are great. It's a great show, man. You really do a fantastic job. I appreciate that, man. It uh, means a lot coming from you. Absolutely, dude. And it's, I'm very grateful to be siphoning off that talent here to cinema. So let's get going with this show, man. I, I welcome you to the show, and I also welcome back everybody who's listening. Welcome, everybody. We're really glad to have you guys here because the tour our show is running is through a gigantic and sometimes eccentric list of films that some say are essential movies. And the prize at the end of that tour is all of you deciding which films deserve that honor. 
So to determine if tonight's movie is going to earn a place on that list, we're going to leave it up to all of you to cast your votes on the polls we're going to put out on our various social media pages. So if you're not already doing so, make sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. You can find us on any of those simply by searching for Cinemusts. There's where you're going to cast your vote this Friday on the must-see status of tonight's movie. So while you all make sure you're following us on whichever of those platforms you like, I'm going to give you the rundown of how you're going to cast your vote. Each movie we talk about on the show gets run through our cinema system where it gets voted into one of three tiers. At the top is the Cinemusts. Those are the movies that are essential. You recommend everybody see them at least once in your life. These are your Snickers bars, your Reese's Peanut Butter Cup, Fine Swiss Chocolates, your uh, Twix bars, your Skittles, all that good stuff. In the middle are Cinetrust. These are movies that you recommend to some people, but not everybody. They might be really good. They might be for a lot of people, but they're just not absolute must-sees for everybody. These are your Butterfingers, your Kit Kats, stuff like that. And at the bottom, you got Cinebus. These are the movies that, for whatever reason, you don't recommend to anybody. doesn't even necessarily mean it's a bad movie. It just means you don't recommend anybody see it. So these are your Crunch Bars, your Mounds, uh, maybe your Almond Joys, you know, how, however you guys uh, stack your candy up like that. So that is what we're going to be doing tonight. Kieran has brought a movie to us that we're going to vote into one of those three categories. We're going to hash it out. And then at the end of the episode, we are going to leave it to you guys to decide if we are kind of in tune or if we are out of our minds and it deserves a totally different tier. So Kieran, man, um, it's a big intimidating list I send out to let hosts pick whatever movie they want to put up for potential must-see status. For your first time on the show, man, what did you wind up going with? Well, it is it is 1,001 movies to go through. You've tackled a bunch that, that knocked off some. But I, I ultimately settled on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory from 1971. Why'd you pick this one? This movie was probably like my earliest memory of a rewatchable film that wasn't animated. You know, so it was on as I was a little kid all the time, just would watch it on loop. And it was a film, you know, it wasn't just your, your average, whatever, after school Disney and, you know, special. And I just was entranced by it as a kid. And then that, that followed up when I was able to revisit it in, in college. And then now, you know, as, as an adult, I can still go back and appreciate it. And it's, it's, I think, ultimately one of my favorite movies of all time. Oh, great. All right. So no pressure. Um, if I hate it or whatever, like this is going to be fun. Um, yeah, this is also when I remember first cracking open a cop, my copy of the book and was like, Willy Wonka, no kidding. All right. I can kind of get behind that. These are always nice to see on that list. Sometimes it's not always just a uh, French new wave and Tarkovsky movies. Yeah, exactly. All right, man. Well, let's dive into it. So for anybody who's new to the show, what Kieran and I are going to do for a couple minutes, we are going to be totally spoiler free. We are going to give some general layout, some plot summary to sell you on Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And Kieran and I are going to vote it into one of the three categories I explained. Is it a Cinemust, Cinetrust, or a Cinebust? And we each have to give three reasons apiece for why we voted into the tier we did. After that, we're going to lay down a spoiler so we can talk about the movie in depth, back up those points. But if you somehow have never seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, hang with us for a couple of minutes. We're going to give you some general impressions and uh, see if it's something that you want to check out. So first up on that, Kieran, um, you've got a plot summary for this. So if you're going to, in a couple sentences, tell anybody who'd never seen this movie, the general layout, what it's about, how would you uh, put that? Sure. So uh, a little spoiler-free intro here. Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory follows a young, lower-class boy named Charlie Bucket, whose family lives modestly in an unnamed, small American town. Charlie's town is centered around a famous yet mysterious candy factory, 
that is closed off to the public despite producing mass amounts of candy around the world. The enigmatic candy factory owner Willy Wonka announces that he will be opening the doors to his factory for only five grand prize winners by placing special golden tickets hidden in five random chocolate bars amongst billions that are being distributed across the globe. Charlie Bucket hopes to defy the odds and join the other four lucky winners that will unknowingly embark on a tour of Willy Wonka's chocolate factory that will test the limits of their virtues and tempt the appetite of their vices. Poetic and bold. I love it. Excellent summary, man. Um, before we get into votes, as far as where you can find this movie, um, the usual video streaming platforms across the board, your Apple movies, your Prime videos, YouTube, any of that, four bucks will get you a rental of this. Um, this movie is celebrating its 50th anniversary, which is crazy to me. So though this will be t- a little too late for you guys to see it and cast your votes on its must-see status, if you want to go out into theaters August 15th to catch it on the big screen, it's going to be there. Um, or, you know, just go pay your parents or your grandparents a visit. I'm willing to bet somebody you know has got a copy of this movie lying in a box somewhere. So, Kieran, let's get down to the nuts and bolts here. You said you love this movie, so I think I know where you're going with this, but let's make this official. Cinemust, a Cinetrust, or a Cinebust, which way are you going to vote Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? I am voting Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory as Cinemust with a bullet. All right. Everybody's got to see this movie with a bullet. I like it. Um, makes it hard with the Cinemust to give only three reasons you recommend it to everybody, but what did you come up with? All right. So I have three here, uh, spoiler-free reasons, and one is it's a kaleidoscopic and comedic examination of wealth and class structures. So a little bit of a mouthful to put it a little more simply. It's tackling those themes like class structures, like wealth as, as, as it's intertwined with that, but it's not too heavy and it's not too dark and it's not too, too deep and too big of a bummer where a lot of those movies usually are. It's colors everywhere and it's comedy everywhere. And it just, it, if you don't want to get wrapped up in the themes, you want to just sit back and just enjoy the ride, you can do that. And if you want to really get under the layers, you can do that too. And those are always my favorite kind of movies. So that's, that's the number one. All right, number two. Number two, it uh, universally transcends a much maligned genre, and that is the genre of the musical. And Mike, I mean, I think you appreciate musicals. I don't mind musicals myself. But as movie people, we know that the common movie viewer has just, they have it out for the musical. I don't know what it is. We all know the people who just can't do it. They won't tolerate it. They won't open their mind to it. It's, uh, it's there, you know, and we all, we all deal with it. And I think if I were to compare it, just to make a quick analogy, I'm not going to get too wordy here, but if I look at the music industry, country would be that genre that people will look at and go, ah, country music. Now, you'll hear people say, well, what do you listen to? I listen to everything except for country. Right, and, right. and you could throw a musical on a movie night and there'll instantly be people who stand up and go, nope, don't do musicals. Just like you can put a country song on at a party and there'll people go, turn that off. I'm not doing country music. But if you put on John Denver's Country Roads, they're not going to say turn it off. Oh, they're yeah. going to sing along, yeah. take me home to the place I belong. And that's what Willy Wonka is for the musical genre. Go out, find that person that t- hates musicals. Don't prompt them. Walk up to them and say, hey, what do you think of Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Guarantee you they say they like it if they've seen it. All right. So, there's number two. Number three is real quick, real simple. Truly one of the most iconic character performances by an all-time legendary actor in Gene Wilder. 
and we can leave it at that and expand on it later. Perfect. I am over the moon excited about this. So let me blitz through my vote, my reasons real quick so we can get into this. I'm also going Cinemust on this. I recommend this movie to everybody. Easy recommendation. A ton of people probably already seen this movie. Um, here are my three reasons, though. Number one, I think it's a good adaptation of one of the most endearing modern fables. And I may be misusing the word fable. I know typically you got to have like animal characters there. What I'm getting at is Roald Dahl's story. And I love Roald Dahl. We're going to talk a lot about how he's my literary hero. It's a great tale communicating morals to kids. I think this is a good adaptation of it. It's an interesting one. Um, I'll, I'll save my reasoning for that in spoilers. Reason number two, I recommend the movie to everybody. It is one of the supreme live action family movies. It's a tricky genre to get into. There's people who've got, I mean, nostalgia is all over that road. Um, I think this one is top tier, um, right up in there with Wizard of Oz and uh, Mary Poppins, another one that came to mind. So we can get into that more later. Um, my third point's pretty much identical to yours. Gene Wilder owns this character he's he's taken this character away from everybody um so i'm really excited to talk about that but it's it's a great time um like i said like we're saying i don't think there's too many people that haven't seen this movie but if you haven't seen willy wonka and the chocolate factory kieran and i were saying 100 percent, go check it out it's worth a four dollar rental if that's what you got to do to get it but again you probably know somebody that's got this movie and that person would probably love to watch it with you so do yourself a favor and go check out Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. Um, so, Kieran, before we get to backing this stuff up with prime examples from the movie, is there any other spoiler-free stuff you want to say to pump the movie up? No, I think we're good on on my end. I didn't realize it was the anniversary and there was going to be playing in the theater, so I'm I'm excited about that already. So we're breaking news here, as far as I'm concerned. But no, I'm I'm ready to I'm ready to to, to dive into the old Chocolate River here. All right. Well, carefully don't get sucked up the pipes. So everybody, if you haven't seen Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, uh, seriously, pause the episode here. Go check it out. It'll be a great time. It's an hour, 40 minutes well spent. Then come on back to the episode as Kieran and I back up why we think this movie is an absolute cinema must. So we will leave you here right now. It is spoilers for Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. The suspense is terrible. I hope it will last. Hold your breath. Make a wish. Count to three. Come with me, and you'll be in a world of pure imagination. Take a look, and you'll see into your imagination. We'll begin with a spin traveling in the world of my creation. What we'll see will defy explanation. If you want to view paradise, simply look around and view it. Anything you want to do it. Want to change the world? There's nothing to it. All right, so Kieran, uh, this is going to be a really exciting and fun conversation. Um, one, like your passion in the uh, spoiler-free section, really got me going. This point you have about this movie really transcending 
maligned musicals. And I love that sample you gave that comparing it to take me home country roads and how this is a movie that musical haters would probably enjoy. And we've, we know the fight on this show. We've done a couple musicals. Some of them have been an uphill battle. We even made a point on singing in the rain. We made the same point on singing in the rain. It's the musical musical haters love. Um, and it sounds like you're adding Willy Wonka to that. So I don't know if you've got more to say on that. You said it beautifully in uh, general impressions, but I wanted to roll with that first. Tell me more about this as a strong musical. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's as as you said, it's a debate you've gone through with Cinemus. It's something at Best Picture Cast. We have like a line in the sand and half the co-host on one side, the other half in the other. And every time a new one comes up, the battle rages on. So one of the things coming into this, because this is a movie that in re- revisiting it for this, this isn't necessarily a movie while it's been a big part of my life and something I love. I have not seen it recently. So it was kind of fun to get back into it. And I was wondering to test a few things on how they held up and whatnot. And one of the things I was in was, is this actually a musical? And it is no doubt a musical. I mean, you watch oh, it, it, it is. There are musical numbers evenly distributed throughout the whole thing. It, it, there's some strong numbers in it, some songs that have stood the test of time. You have the Candyman, you know, the Sammy Davis Jr. number. You'll still see commercials today that have the Candyman in it. And whether it's the Golden Ticket or the, um, or the, the Willy Wonka's or Gene Wilder's number when they, they enter the factory. It's just, the songs are great. They work to advance the plot, which is always key. I think that one of the things that people who dislike musicals get annoyed with is when there's that talky singing and they're, and they're just kind of singing and dancing and, and nothing's really moving forward. They're just kind of living in the moment. Whereas each time there's a song here, there's kind of like an emotional beat that's working through the plot. Perfect example would be Charlie opening the golden ticket and the trumpets going off and, and him going to the, going, running home to the score. And then that leads into the song with him and Grandpa Joe, the I've Got a Golden Ticket song. Yeah. Or if it's the first time you see the factory and Willy Wonka singing one. So they, all the songs kind of, they serve a purpose within the plot. This is kind of like nestled under my point about this being like one of the, the supreme live action family movies is typically those are musicals. And I was going to say the same thing is uh, I'm, I'm like you. I, I felt like I knew this movie pretty inside and out just from my childhood, but it had been so long since I'd actually seen it. And watching it today, I was like, the, the musical numbers in here are really, really strong. Or I guess I should say for me, the songs are really solid. Uh, a conversation I wanted to have, though, is uh, what were your thoughts on like the execution or the choreography here? And I know mileage varies. I, I got to say, like, songs across the board almost pretty great. Choreography and execution left a little bit to be desired for me but i'm on record that i do like my musicals extremely extravagant like if you're going to go into song like you might as well make everything bright colors and wild movement but i don't know what do you think about the way they choreograph all these yeah again i I mean i thought it had a charm that worked within what they were trying to do with the movie so there are times where you want that extravagant everybody's hitting every note there's elaborate choreography and all that there's something to First of all, the actors are singing their songs. We're not, they're not lip syncing to, to world-class stage, yeah. stage acts. You have the kids singing the song. You have Grandpa Joe singing the song. You have Gene Wilder. Singing, everybody's singing their own stuff. So there's a little bit of a charm to Charlie not being able to hit the notes. And the choreography is a little weak. I will, I'll give you that. But again, I kind of I like that almost in amateurish vibe to it because it works within what they're doing and when, when you you have characters like like gene wilder who nailed the choreography a little better 
be it not elaborate, I think if you're, if you're consistent across the board, it works for me. If some people are doing it unbelievable and it's uneven, then, you know, not so good. And it, it did seem to me that it got better throughout the movie because, you know, pure imagination, I don't need a lot of choreography because that's kind of a song of wonderment and everybody kind of exploring the chocolate room does that for me. The Oompa Loompas with their their tumbling and their like that works for me. It, it's kind of like Candyman is kind of underwhelming because it's just a guy throwing out free candy, which is really weird because Charlie's outside the window and walks away. It's like, no, man, you can go in. He's not charging anybody. But, you know, there, there's that. Um, but, you know, like, I'm, I'm glad you pointed out that I've got a golden ticket because I like that that's, that's a number that also is moving story along that it's set to this guy getting out of bed for the first time in 20 years. So they have a lot of fun with that. Cheer up, Charlie. I, what's your thoughts on Cheer Up, Charlie? It's it's really famously every conversation you have. It's it's the song I think most people think doesn't belong in the movie. What do you think of it? Oh, it it is the LVP for sure. It 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 should have been cut for. It's the deep track that you know the album should have been a little shorter. Put that uh, put that as the bonus track on the on the single release or something. You know that it, the mom is a, is like an oddly unimportant character. I don't understand why she gets her own song. It it could have just the movie could have been a clean ninety minutes without any of that in there. I'm totally with you on that. My theory is that it, in keeping with them, and not saying that they made this movie saying it's going to compete. Like I don't think they intended this to become like a, a family film classic the way Wizard of Oz is. In fact, I know they primarily made it because Quaker Oats gave them funding because they were trying to push a new candy bar they were going to name after Wonka and said a movie it helps sell that. Um, but anyways, I think if they're like, oh, in this in this tradition, there's always the I want song. There's always the song about like the the sad put upon hero and, uh, you know, the, how they want to break out into the big, exciting world. So I think it's there to serve that purpose and kind of like really drive home. Look how sad and great this kid is. I think it's a fine song. I don't necessarily like hate it. Like I don't I don't stand up and take my bathroom break when it comes on, but it. Of of the ones you say you'd have to cut, yeah, it's probably going to be Cheer Up, Charlie. Um, do you have a favorite song or, or a number in the movie? Yeah, you know, I actually do. And I think like looking at this, looking at this, you know, from, from a distance, like having not seen it in a while, you, you immediately go to Gene Wilder's, you know, World of Imagination with that. But it's really not. And and I realized that this time is, the the song in the Golden Goose Egg Room, the that Baruch Assault sings, that I want it now. The performance there is so it's so killer. Her and I, and I I love to pick on people for bad lip syncing, like that's kind of one of my one of my things over at BPC. But she makes them having for some reason the lip syncing not being on just really works with the performance. And that song is like low key super catchy. It it brings that character to a crescendo. And looking back, I mean, that's kind of one of the most memorable scenes from the movie in my childhood growing up, because it's like they're getting dumped down into the furnace. It's like kind of really dark. Yeah. And 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 that number followed by a, a, like one of one of like the low key great dark comedy lines of the of the movie. <laughs> Charlie asks, they're going to be all right, right? And uh, Willie Wonka goes, I think that furnace is lit only every other day. So they have a sporting chance, don't they? <laughs> and it's just just the whole thing is is wild and bizarre. So I think that's my favorite number of the of the of the movie. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of garbage today. Is another like really cold blooded but really really funny. <laughs> <line>. <laughs> a lot of garbage today. 
Yeah, sporting chance, don't they? Which I think also we can segue. Um, another point I kind of have nestled under what makes this one of my supreme live action family movies is I think the movie, surprisingly, I mean, to me today, having not revisited it in so long, it's really funny. Like I was laughing a lot and you, this is like point blank one of your points. You're talking about how this is blending like class structures with comedy. So, so let's talk about the comedy and maybe we can fuse that into your thoughts on class structures. Like, what do you think of the comedy here? Absolutely. Mike, I got to say, Ben, looking at my biggest takeaway of watching it this time around, I did not either realize or remember how funny the first half hour of this movie is. You know, I mean, it was probably the half hour as a kid that I just was like, all right, let's get to the factory. Let's get to the factory. But watching it, watching it now, there's some of the skits that they have of the people trying to get the chocolate bars, whether it's the psychiatrist laying down on the you, with, with his patient and just trying to dissect from his dreams where the candy bar might, bar might be, or the um, or the scientist fighting with the machine over the that's my favorite over one. the location. That's of such the a that's such I mean, a that good re- exchange. Incredible! It reminded me of like a Simpsons skit with like yeah. their uh, Doctor <laughs> Think, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, it's just great, and and my favorite of all was the, just the the performance of the newscaster throughout that, and and his little <laughs> spiel about. Well, there's only one left, and we need to remind ourselves through our own bitterness and jealousy that there are much more important things in this world. What they are right now, I can't think of them for the, for the life of me, but I'm sure they're <laughs> out there. Anyway, to the weather. And it's just, it's, just, it's, just, it's just skit comedy mixed into this thing. It just, oh, I was just, I was out loud laughing at the first half hour of this movie. Yeah, same reaction, because I was, you know, watching it, and I was like, it takes a half the half the movie to get to the factory. It, you know the the main event, and I was like, "Wow, is this going to be a pacing issue? Is this going to sin a trust this movie for me?" And the more these skits went on, the more I was laughing, and the more I was kind of thinking, like, "This is so good for drawing the adults into your movie." And I think, you know, like you're saying, kids they probably don't get it all, but I don't think it's like enough to tear you away. Because I remember as a kid, I had no idea what the ransom joke was. Like I didn't, I didn't have grasp of yeah. all that concept. I didn't become a Coen brothers fan yet. So kidnapping yeah. jokes were, but I, I was just sitting there thinking, okay, kids can latch on to Charlie. And there's this, we can get into some minute when I talk about how Zadaps roll dolls, fable slash fairy tale, but they, they have all these fairy tale trappings of the grandparents in the bed and the, the ultra poverty of the hero and the really extravagant personalities of the other four kids who are performed to the nines. They're so good. And so I was like, this is this is an excellent blend of like adapting this really simplistic, really hyperbolic story, but also telling jokes that adults are going to think are absolutely hysterical. And I was like, that's a potent mixture right there. That's how you get this to become a classic that a kid's going to love watching and a parent's going to be like, awesome, I can show my kid Willy Wonka and it's just going to be a great time for everybody. Yeah. And, and we're, we're that first half hour is great. It just extends in through the, through the introduction of Willy Wonka. And, you know, well, I'm sure we'll talk about that more when we get into Gene Wilde's performance. But the, uh, the parents in going along the tour are all really good too. Like yeah. uh, Mr. Salt's facial reactions to everything that, that Gene Wilder's doing are priceless. Uh, Mrs. TV is great. Like it's a, Grandpa Joe has his one-liners. It's a really, it's a really well-executed comedic, comedic cast as, as, as an ensemble. It was almost going to be my third point was instead of just singling out Gene Wilder, I wanted to be like, we got to look at the rest of these people because I don't see anybody who's a dud. And I think it helps when you get to play like a very specific caricature, which, which totally fits the material. Great. But yeah, like every parent is awesome. Every kid is awesome. I love Grandpa Joe. Like, I think everybody holds their own against Gene Wilder. It's it's a really strong cast. 
Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I mean, as you know, Mike, I'm always talking about the Oscars and all that. I mean, I look at this movie's performance in the Oscars and it's just it scratches my head that they missed on all of this. I mean, maybe like you said, it's kind of a, a corporate product, I guess. So maybe they wrote it off. But the thing is, they did nominate it for score, rightfully so. Mm-hmm. But so you can't say like they didn't, they just ignored it completely. Like you did recognize it by that being there. How can you not pick one of these songs to be nominated for original song? You know, how can you not li- nominate a Gene Wilder? How can you not look at, at, at like maybe the set design? Well, I guess there's areas of the set design might, might look a little cheap, but I don't know. To, to me, this, there should have at least been three or four more Oscars in the nominees in the mix here. Yeah, I, I think like regrettably, uh, I, I think that's like a prestige problem that like a kid's movie made to sell chocolate bars isn't seen as a, uh, prestigious enough to be Oscar bait. Um, I agree with you. It's kind of odd not to get a song nomination. I'm looking at them now. And I mean, this is the year of the theme from Shaft won, which is. I, I, uh, I don't want to take away wins. Isaac Hayes' Oscar. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I was going to say <laughs> that's, that's one of my Isaac favorite wins. But, but, you know, like, let's at least get a nomination in there. Um, I also, I also really quick just want to go up to best supporting actor here, just because I think we could get Gene Wilder or, or is it Jack Albertson that plays Grandpa Joe? Uh, yes, yeah, Jack Albertson, and he was a, he was a, a nominee, a previous nominee, so it's not like it's like he's an, has, he's no, a, has no resume. He's a he's a winner actually. I think I think he beat Gene Wilder the oh, year wow. the producers was out. I can't remember the movie he at uh, Grandpa Joe won for. Um, so this oh, wow. year we had Ben Johnson won for Last Picture Show. That's a pretty solid performance. Jeff Bridges was nominated for Last Picture Show. Leonard Frey at Fiddler on the Roof. Robert uh, Jackal, sometimes a great notion. And Roy Schneider from French Connection. So that's a pretty good lineup. I haven't seen sometimes a great notion, but I guess this could have been a worse. It, nothing's could more frustrating, as, as you know, because you've talked about Chariots of Fire on your show there's nothing more frustrating than when like a really bad movie or a really bad performance wins yeah yeah for sure and and yeah you wonder could they have snuck gene wilder in in a supporting situation yeah too yeah that's what i was title but he's not there for the first half hour but um yeah i I just when i look at a performance like that and it's just you know it it, well i guess we'll talk about that more when when we get there let's talk class structure because this is you know sandwiched with the comedy for you so talk about how it like weaves this balance and this kaleidoscopic imagery here yeah so this is this is a movie and and as i kind of said in the intro a little bit i'm I'm a big fan of movies where if you want to pick at the bones with themes and really get in into the layers of it you can have fun doing that, but you can also take a step back and just enjoy it for what it is. And there's a lot going on with this movie as far as, as wealth and class goes. And if I look at just, we look at the, the five people who were invited to the factory, they're all representing different forms of wealth. So you have Augustus Gloop, is, his dad's a famous butcher in the town. He's the, most, he's the most prominent butcher in the town. So he's like the working class, top of the, top of the working class wealth. Baruch Assault is the corporate wealth, peanut factory owner, buys anything he wants, we're going to grow, we're going to get bigger, we're going to get bigger. Uh, Violet Beauregard would, would be the political wealth, his dad, her dad's a local politician, car salesman. Uh, Mike TV, while his family is, his mom's a teacher, his family's living in a smaller house, his representation through the Westerns from Arizona dresses the cowboy, Mike TV to me, he's supposed to represent as we're getting out of the 50s and 60s where Westerns were the, the focus of Hollywood and all that. He's supposed to represent the, uh, the celebrity wealth, you know, where you, I think we're led to believe that he's going to go on and be some sort of actor or something along, mm-hmm. along that world. 
And then, you know, uh, you have that, that fake sixth winner from South America who makes the fake ticket and they think it's all done. And he's a casino owner in South America. Okay, probably cartel. What, that's your criminal wealth. And then Charlie is essentially your lottery winner. You know, he's the, he's the poverty and he's the, the lower class structure that has to work his way through. And, and when, you, when you have a, a, a movie like this where you have the Willy Wonka bringing everyone in the mix and having them use their morals and use their ethics to compete for an opportunity, that's where you can start to analyze where, you know, where, where this movie's aiming from. So does the uh, the tour of the factory and this um, you know test that they're all kind of unknowingly under with the the everlasting gobstopper and if they're going to give it to Slugworth does that develop this reading any further for you? Well, I mean, with, as far as the, the everlasting gobstopper in the factory, and you have um, Slugworth is basically trying to to engulf Willy Wonka's factory. So you look at I kind of look at small business there a little bit. And, you know, who is, the, who is he going to pass it on to that's going to keep this factory alive and not just going to sell us out to the bigger man? And you, you, there's, a, there's a little moment there where they're on the, the car washing contraption, whatever yeah. it is, and it's just two of them left. It's just Charlie and Mike TV. And at this point, you know, like, all right, well, these are the last two left. The others were jerks, and these two are good. And Mike TV turns to his mom and goes, hey, Ma, you think Mr. Slugworth would be interested in this too? And she's just like, keep your eyes open and your mouth shut. So that's where he kind of sells himself out as this is where even though he's not coming from as much wealth as the others are, he's looking to climb the ladder too. Mm-hmm. And then like you go into the scene of him being in the TV and he goes through and he's this, this tall and hey, I want to do it again. But if you do it again, there'll be nothing left of you. He's like, I don't care. Here I go. You know, and, and just bringing what the, what, what the, uh, the, the industry will do to you there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, have I worked out all these layers myself? You know, no, <laughs> but I, I, I just love the little examination of, of the aspects of it. No, I think it's it's a solid, at least at the very least, like an entertaining and a fun reading to kind of keep the movie alive. Because you know, again, it's another one of those movies that it could be said like, ah, it's a kids movie, and it's got the morals are all surface level. You know that the the lessons learned is, you know, if you're a kid, like don't break the rules, don't be, don't be greedy, don't be spoiled, don't be full of yourself, don't be disgusting. And if you're an adult, the lesson is like, don't let your kid grow up to be a jerk. You know, and that's another thing. Like there's, there's lessons for both. It's not just a movie about like kids listen to your parents and don't be horrible. It's also about like parents, like give a crap and be involved here. Don't just let your kids like run wild on their uh, most basic impulses. So I, you know, I, I don't have a problem with that. I think it's part of the movie's charms. It has like those simplistic morals. I think that's what made the story so endearing helped by this movie's success, but I don't know any movie like this. I think it's always fun to see what you can get out of. It's a little deeper. Yeah, for sure. And, and I mean, I think like greed, greed is, is a, is a big thing that's brought up often in this movie. You hear it in the Oompa Loompa songs, um, uh, big time. And then, and you have that, that final quote from Wilder there, uh, so shines a good deed in a weary world, which is when he grabs the gobstopper and then calls Charlie back in. And that's from, uh, Shakespeare's the Merchant of Venice. You know, I'm, I'm no yeah. Shakespeare expert or anything, but that that story is, is a lot about money management and how you know how much you may need it for yourself and and how much it can become a part of you and take you away from yourself and whatnot. So I, I um, there's there's a lot of thought that went behind the script beyond the source material that Roald Dahl did himself, and I just like that. I like that aspect of it. A little just thoughtful quotes that tie into themes throughout. 
And uh, it, it just gives you something, like you said, when, when you have something for the kids that you need something for the adults to digest too, it, it makes the, mo- the movie multifaceted in that standpoint. Yeah, Wonka's a really well-read guy. If you read like a breakdown of like where they've compiled all these quotes he has, like he's pulling stuff from all over the place. He's got Shakespeare, he's got famous poetry, he's got everything. So it kind of adds a little flavor. Um, yeah. I know we can run circles, but I think we we have circled this enough that we might as well get into it. Wonka himself, both of us say a third of the reason this movie's for everybody is that Gene Wilder's just iconic in the role. So, so you take it first. Let's talk about why this is thirty three percent of the reason. I know my percentages. The the teacher would be proud of me. Uh, why why Gene Wilder? Why is he the big sell of this movie? You know, I mean, I I can't speak for people who were around and kicking in the seventies. And even the 80s, I was born in the 80s, so I wasn't, you know, aware enough to, to be conscious of it. But I, I kind of think Gene Wilder is that kind of thing. You, you don't know what you got till it's gone. And looking back, I mean, he is one of the most wonderful comedic actors that we've ever seen in, in cinema. And this is his career-defining performance. And he does, he is, this in this performance alone, he's doing... Forget about the witty lines and, and all that stuff, which is an easy place to go. He is the acid and the base. He's doing the, the mundane, oh, no, please, don't, please, stay, no, to the, you got nothing, to the coiled spring where he's just exploding on the other end. He gives you every layer of the scale and just does it in such a, a compact runtime. Uh, it, it's just, it's, it's wonderful, wonderful to watch no matter what, where you are in your, in your cinematic journey. You know, I, I've read the, the list of like everybody they wanted to cast. And, and I know Roald Dahl was just forever bitter that they never they didn't cast Spike Milligan. But I, to me, like, I think you're right. Like everybody knows Gene Wilder as Willy Wonka, even though I, there's performances of his I, I think I like more. I think I'm a bigger fan of producers and Young Frankenstein. But he. My point about this is not just like Gene Wilder's great is that Gene Wilder owns this character now. And and. I mean that not only because like nobody can ever play Willy Wonka and not just immediately be hated for, you know, thinking they could hold their own against Gene Wilder, but he stole this character away from its very creator. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I was reading the book this week and the, and the book is great and there's not necessarily a major problem with the way Wonka is portrayed. But to me, Wonka in the book is a little overly impish. He's, he's a bit too much the child in the man's body. And, and Gene Wilder, I think finds this way to embody the anarchy and the the chaos, the, the childlike imagination and enthusiasm for what he does. But he also gives the role like a maturity and a level of professionalism that you can also believe he has built this empire from nothing that he knows how to run it. He knows how to protect it, that this um, contest isn't, just some kind of harebrained fairy tale scheme, which I mean, when you break it down enough, like it absolutely is. But he, <laughs> he, in in a in a character that I don't feel is protected particularly well fleshed out, no matter what medium it's in, whether it's the original book or any of the the film adaptations, he he manages to make it feel like a complete person, even if I can't point to like facts and evidence. And here's this line that suggests a backstory because I think you know. Other adaptations have proved maybe a backstory for Willy Wonka is a mistake. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I just think he's great. And, and, you know, nothing against Roald Dahl, who I love, but I know he was very bitter that Gene Wilder got cast. And I think time has just proven like this is this is the guy. And I don't know, maybe maybe you can, but I was thinking like, I don't know how many other 
performances and roles I can think of that if somebody else takes on that character and puts their own spin on it, I don't know if there's very many that like they would receive as much just malicious like hatred just for taking on the job. You know what I mean? Like, you know, tons of people do the Joker and everybody's kind of doubtful at first and the movie comes out and everybody wins an Oscar for it, you know. But, you know, if anybody yeah. wants to say like, oh, yeah, I'm going to play Willy Wonka in this new uh, play that, you know, my community theater is putting on. Everyone's going to be like, oh, you think you can hang with Gene Wilder, huh? Yeah, that's that's a top. I mean, they've tried to do the, do it on Broadway, too, or like do stage performance. It's just when you say he owned the role, he he retired the role. I mean, it's just like you said, yeah, you yeah. can't you can't go back there. I mean, and he elevated this movie to to more than than it would have been. You know, I, I, I really do believe that. Uh, I think it's. I think with the with the with the safe fair performance there, it's still a it's still a quality movie because of the other things we're talking about. But I think that he is he's that shot of electricity that takes this into the, into that Hall of Fame tier, and it's the reason that it's just the type of movie you can walk around. Everyone everyone knows it. Everyone's no one's no one's gonna have to have you explain further what you mean by Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. It's not like well well what tell me more. What I I I think I know that. What else? no it's it's right. And they and they picture Gene Wilder. They don't picture Johnny Depp. They don't picture Timothy Chalamet. They picture Gene Wilder. I, I guess a question for you. I I don't know your history. I'm a gigantic Roald Dahl fan. I think he's a genius. I, I adore so much of what he's done. And he's on. He's had a lot of books that have honestly made some pretty good movies. I think in terms of authors that have been adapted, he's actually had a pretty good run. I know this movie kind of. Up there with The Shining, I think it's kind of one of the more famous ones of like the movie came out and the author just openly hated everything about it. I don't think that this, I mean, I don't think anybody's going to argue in this day and age that like it is a bad adaptation. But I honestly like reading the book and watching the movie this week. I don't even know that it makes a ton of deviations that uh, really, I, I guess I'm aside from, you know, the author being the creator and definitely having a specific vision for their own work, like, I'm not seeing where this is in any way seen as, like, a bastardization of this beloved novel because I think it checks the boxes off really, really well. And I don't know if you're familiar with the book at all or if this is anything you'd want to chime in on. Yeah, I'm not I'm not so familiar with the book. I mean, I, I read it as a youth along with some of his others, you know, James the Giant Peach, BFG, and some of the others. And but again, as a as a youth, so it's really been a long time. So my my memory fades a little bit with that. Um, from what I understand, I think maybe it was like a lot of screenplay issues. Um, but again, you just read the you just read the book, so I, I don't know if the the screenwriter took some liberties with where he was was going with some of the some of the themes and some of the directions. But yeah, well, well, we can, we can talk. So like the a couple of the major things aren't like a big deal in in the book. It's um, Veruca is she's mobbed by a pack of squirrels. It's not golden geese laying golden eggs. It's squirrels cracking walnuts and she's a bad nut. And it's the same thing. She goes down the garbage chute and you know, this in 1971, how are you going to train a hundred squirrels or animate a hundred squirrels? <laughs> so, you know, the golden geese thing, it makes sense. And, and you know, there's little things here. The, the big one, I think Roald Dahl had an issue with, and, and this would be interesting to talk about for a second is the fizzy lifting drink scene. Cause in the book, the fizzy lifting drinks is like a room. They like whiz past as they're going on to bigger and better things. So Charlie and Grandpa Joe don't ever actually stop there. And we don't have this scene with the fan and everything. And um, I kind of like wanted your take on that, because I think there is um, maybe a potential argument that could be made that 
this this either totally destroys the character of Charlie or helps flesh them out because this is a, a scene not present in the book where Charlie is a perfect angel who follows the rules all the time and he's just having fun. Here here we have a scene where he does break the rules and he, you know, Wonka doesn't know or doesn't see them or so they think at first so he could get away with it. And this is like a test of one's morality. So I, I don't know what you think of this is like something that, oh, they made Charlie one of the bad kids. So this totally destroys the character of this is a, a benefit to him. I don't know what you think. Yeah. So that's like a that's going to be a strong disagree for me. I mean, and this is just goes from my reading of it. And I'm usually public enemy number one of reading too deep into things and and having fun with with properties just because that's that's just what I'd like to do. Uh, but, you know, if we have a podcast, what else is there to do? You know, so um <laughs> But no, I think my reading of this is is that it's essential to his character. It's essential to the to the overlying theme because, as you mentioned a little earlier, about the lessons that this is being taught. You know, don't do this, don't do that, and the, the list of things that you shouldn't be and you shouldn't do. To me, it's a little more than that. It's that there are this is in this factory. Each of these kids or each of these entities, they have they have vices, okay, and they have different things that are tempted within this tour. And none of them are without sin. And if you if you could you can roll down the seven deadly sins, they're all in there. Whether yeah. it's the gluttony yeah. in the chocolate river, or the greed in the with Veruca Salt, or the uh, pride of being on TV, or you know the the envying the, the gum that you can't have. You know, there's the, they're all in there. Grandpa Joe not getting out of bed for four months. There's your sloth. Yeah. You know, so I mean, they left lust out of it necessarily. We don't need that in the, in the kids' movie. But uh, even Willy Wonka himself, as you said, he's kind of a jerk. He's he's put a, playing a game with all these people and and deciding who gets what. He's wrath in this. So there's so no one is without is without fault in this. And what Wonka's trying to do is he's find he's trying to find a successor within what he has. And who amongst all their flaws is going to be the one that doesn't let their flaws get the best of them, that can come around and say, you know what? I'm not getting the factory. I have this gobstopper. I can wreck this guy. And you know what? I'm, I'm not going to do it. And, and, yeah. and overcomes that. So I think if, if Charlie's an angel throughout this whole thing, and then at the very end is not going to get the gobstopper and then goes, oh, well, that's okay. That's not as, that's not as rich and that's not as deep for me. So I, I, like, I like him having flaws too and him being a flawed character and Grandpa Joe being a flawed character. I think all that makes, makes for a better overall movie. Yeah, and like you, so I'm in total agreement with here. And like you're saying, in in terms of these morality tales, you know, typically your hero's got to mess up a couple times. You know, um, so I like, and this is kind of the last thing I'll say about why I think this is a, actually a really good adaptation. Is I think slavish adherence to like this is how it is in the book, so we're going to do it this way. I think that usually makes for a very uninteresting movie. I think there's not a ton of originality that goes into it other than like oh but we can make it look cool we can you know production design cinematography but i think there there's this art to making these small tweaks like this that doesn't change what people love about the book but that adds some kind of extra layer and and you took the the critical detail for me is that as they're storming out and gene wilder has that amazing moment where he completely blows up at them that totally breaks your heart as a kid and even a little bit as an adult but grandpa joe saying that line like you know, we'll get revenge. The last thing we'll do if Slugworth wants the gobstopper, and that's what makes Charlie turn around and be the better person. And say, no, I'm not going to do that. Like, I screwed up. I'll accept the punishment, and that is what redeems him. I think it's a good moment. I think it works, especially when your movie kind of needs a a climax. And this isn't to bag on the book because 
another thing the movie does that I think is a good choice is as imaginative and as wacky as everything is. I think the movie does a lot of things to kind of ground the story a little, especially in the first half. You know, there's still a lot of elaborate things. There's the grandparents sharing the bed and all, all these things, like the extreme level of poverty that they're eating cabbage water. Like these are very fairy tale esque things that are in the book and the book works great as a, a more updated modern fairy tale. But in terms of even, I mean, just like the shooting location, not making this um, village too fairy tale esque, but you know, it's got cars, people are going to work, kids are going to school. Like this is, it, it feels like a, a grounded reality. Um, and even the the parents, I think once we're in the chocolate factory, I think the parents are kind of what does that job that they're constantly making like side business talk with Wonka and talking about his overhead or is he cooking up the liquor and things like that. So yeah. there's always this level of like realism that's clashing up against the fantastical world of the chocolate factory. And that's not something you really get from the book. The book is just fantastical all the way through and it works great in print. I think for a movie, this clashing makes for better watching it makes for better critical readings i think it's a good smart move to make for them and you know time has proven them right i know the movie wasn't hyper successful when it first came out but time has been kind for the movie and proven these were really good choices to make pretty much the only one most people don't get on board with is keeping cheer up charlie and uh you know, people, we, we like to make fun of the scary tunnel, but, you know, without the scary tunnel, is it really Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Oh, it's, you gotta have the scary tunnel. It's one of the best parts of the movie. Come on. Now. That should have been in my reason alone, one of the top three reasons. Um, you mentioned The Shining. <laughs> you mentioned The Shining, and I'm a massive Stephen King fan, like my favorite author. I've, you know, read, I'm getting to reading almost all of his stuff. But The Shining is also one of my favorite movies of all time. I know you, you have a, a great Cinemust episode on it. And uh, so you've covered that one in, in depth there. But I get both sides with The Shining. You know, I, I get what Stephen King's saying. You, yes, his characters were not prop- properly translated to what, to what Kubrick's Shining was and what King meant for it to be. But that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, there, you, can, you can be inspired by a source material and do something different with it and come, come up with something that is equally great. It doesn't have to change what you did. It, it, the, the Shining book is still there for everyone to read and everyone to love, and the movie's there for everyone to leave. It's, they can be church and state. They don't have to be together. And I think that, I think that over time, Stephen King has become a little more uh, mature about that. And um, while I don't disagree with any of his points about the movie in respect to the book, I think it's okay to sit back and say, look what Kubrick did with, with the film. And, and he turned the film into a whole new thing that's going to reach new people that will eventually find what Stephen King's doing, too. So I've, I've always been a proponent of it. And to be completely frank, most adaptations that follow the book to the T aren't very good. You know, they're not no. better than what the book is. There's a few. I mean, like No Country for Old Men would be the first one that would come to mind. But um, I right. don't know. I, I know Ken Casey and, and Cuckoo's Nest was very similar to the Roald Dahl and Willy Wonka thing. I think it's almost to a T like the same thing. I refuse to ever watch the movie and this is, you know, so I don't, you know, I don't know. Which is, I don't know. which quick aside, I mean, we haven't talked cuckoos. Have you done a cuckoo's nest episode yet? I don't have your catalog. Memory. That was our, yeah, that was our very second episode. So it was, uh, it was very early on in what we have, were doing. Have we were you, have you ever read, uh, cuckoo's nest, the book? Uh, I have not. I have not. Uh, they, 
massively improved. I shouldn't say massively. It's it's a good book, but I I feel the movie made a lot of great fixes to that story. I, we can get into that whenever oh, cool. we do a, a Cuckoo's Nest episode. But it's yeah, yeah. I, I mean, like you're saying though, like this um, that's an argument, and you know, most people don't really mind if it if a book or a movie deviates from the book. But you know, this one it's it's kind of just always like the story that comes up. Oh, Roald Dahl didn't like it, which I find um fascinating because i would say this is the definitive uh roll doll movie mm. and i should have said this in the spoiler free section but that was kind of a reason i also sent a must is my love of roll doll stories you know i th- i think a movie based on his work abs at least one of them deserves to be on this list of essential movies and while i don't know if willy wonka is my absolute favorite of movies that have been adapted from his work like there's no doubt it's the most iconic and probably the most definitive wouldn't you say? I, I would have to think so, yeah. Yeah, I, I'm trying to think of what second place is. I, I wouldn't, I could throw out couples, but it would instantly be like, nah, that's not going to stack up against uh, Wonka. One, one last thing I kind of wanted your thoughts on, this will kind of wrap up my thoughts. In terms of just the movie aging, and the, this didn't necessarily bother me, but I got a lot of nostalgia for the movie production design do you think this could be a turnoff for newcomers to the movie because watching it i'm looking at it and i'm kind of in awe of it knowing the movie's 50 years old and knowing you know what they must have had to go through to to make this i think the chocolate room is really impressive and i like a lot of the set pieces the the demise for a lot of the children is really is handled really well but this seems to fit like talking wizard of oz like it has a very similar aesthetic you can see the big open studios and with a little bit of thought it's not too hard to see that it's pretty much like the same two or three rooms that are you know they they finish shooting the scenes of violet beauregard being turned into a blu-ray blueberry and they say okay we're gonna go move into the the warehouse we're gonna shoot some stuff in the chocolate river when we come back you guys need to change this so it's the the mike tv room but that that 70s studio aesthetic and like this, uh, some of the candy looking very plasticky, does, does this uh, do anything to suck some of the imagination out of the movie for you? Or do you think it holds up? Uh, I mean, I will admit that, you know, when they first see the, this time around, when they first see the, the room, the, the big, the factory room with the mushrooms and the, and the river and all that, there was kind of a moment go, uh okay, this is a little limited. And, and I mean, I'm, you know, I'm a nineties kid who, who always fights the, uh, fights the practical effects of battle of against CGI. And uh, I would imagine that people growing up knowing nothing but CGI will look at something like this and go, what the hell is that? Um, mm-hmm. so it's, I think it's a little tough for me to put my, myself in their shoes. Cause I remember as a kid, I thought it was wonderful looking, you know, oh, I want to be in that room with, yeah, with yeah. the candy mushrooms and the, you know, the gumdrops falling from the trees and all that. So, I mean, as far as the spatial moves, I mean, I they explained it in the room where the room gets tiny, it gets big. You, you never know where Wonka's going to be. It's the same room. Oh, now it's a different room. So, no, <laughs> uh, you're right. It, 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 is, it is a little limited in that aspect, I'll admit. It, and, and maybe that's where, you know, you brought up the nostalgia factor. Maybe the nostalgia factor limits my critical ability in that area just because I, I know where I was when I first saw it and I was enchanted by it back then. So that, that is a fair, a fair counterpoint to what's going on. Well, and same. And, and, you know, also it's 50 years old. I, I think one thing that they can skate it by is, you know, it has this song about a world of pure imagination. And I, I actually think narratively speaking, it sells that, that it's really smart that this tour is 
basically running everybody through this string of inventions. And even if like, it's very obviously, oh, this is the same room or the same hallway as we used in the last scene or whatever, this, this idea that you move from a chocolate river to this, you know, this invention room, just full of Rube Goldberg machines and lickable wallpaper and exploding candy. And like all these ideas I think are executed enough with some good practical effects. And I think, especially if you can get into this young and buy into that, like, wouldn't it be cool if this is how candy was actually made and not the yeah. soul-sucking reality that it is? I, I think it could still age pretty well. And, and I, I shouldn't even say you have to get in super young because honestly, who's going to like grow up being old and after having spent so much time with the first half of this movie, walk into that and get hung up on how fake everything looks? I, yeah, yeah. It's a run length to... It does it does exist within a building too though it is a factory so it's not like Jurassic yeah. Park you know so I, I can live with the room aspect a little bit there and that's another thing about like how grounded they keep it that I actually forgot to mention is yeah it's um you know in the book it's mentioned that the factory basically runs underground for you know miles and miles in every direction and that's how everything fits and I I did appreciate in this movie you get a feeling even if you don't have specific geography down because how could you in this rabbit hole esque tour Willy Wonka is leading them on but you do get this feeling like at the other side of that wall there's the parking lot and the gate and then there's probably like the the bakery or whatever yeah yeah right he's doing his he's doing his 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 accounting in the room before right by the parking lot you know so it's yeah. like you get yeah <laughs> um that about exhausts me actually I, I feel I've been able to back up all the three points I've made how about you do you have anything else you want to say to back up your cinema vote no I mean I think that's that's pretty I think that's that's as thorough as thorough as I could be, I, th- I think we, uh, the two of us, two grown men talking about Willy Wonka, I think we really covered a lot of stops here. It's really, really been fun. And I mean, also, the danger must be growing because the podcast keeps on going and it's certainly not showing any sign that it's slowing because we still have some double features to recommend. So um, one of my favorite parts of the show, we always pair up whatever movie we're discussing with another movie that has some link that would make a good movie night and this one i think is uh, especially potent because willy wonka is a, a fun time it's not a real homework movie it's a sit back relax enjoy yourself so uh kieran if you're gonna throw a movie into a double feature with it what would be your pick so i stayed on brand here uh so i picked the best picture winner around from around the same time only uh, a few years before and i went with carol reed's oliver so the 1968 best picture winner it's one that's uh, maligned by some because it did, it did beat a uh, a certain Stanley Kubrick movie that year. Although yeah. Kubrick wasn't he was nominated for director but not picture that year, but it was was the same year. Yeah, um, yeah but yeah, yeah, Oliver. I like Oliver though. Yeah, it's a it's an uh, adaptation of Oliver Twist. Obviously, as people know, it's the famous for the Please Sir. Can I have some more? But if we're talking about set designs and colors and costume design and choreography and really kind of maybe every little thing that we might have criticized Willy Wonka about, Oliver pays back tenfold. I mean, it, For the sure. movie looks like a million bucks. It, everybody is moving with purpose and the, the choreography is as good as you will ever see in a film. The songs are awesome. It's just, it's banger after banger. There's no shortage of good tunes in there. Uh, wonderful performances across the board. Ron Moody as, as Fagin, um, Oliver Reed as Bill, and it's uh, just a, just a really a delightful movie. Another one that was also on a lot as I was a kid. It's like an early film for me that I remember. My, my mom was a big fan of it, 
So she, she had it on a lot. So it was one that we knew. And in, in revisiting it for Best Picture cast, it was one of my biggest surprises from any movie that we've covered. I was like, all right, Oliver Week, you know, we're going to mail it in. It's just, it's a musical. Kid, kids, it's the only G-rated Best Picture winner, whatever. Let's go with it. And I just was blown away with how much I enjoyed it. And, and we had a really hilarious episode talking about it. And uh, yeah, I, I think it would mix well with this one. You could you could fight your way through Oliver first and then get the, the Willy Wonka palate cleanser at the end. Although if you switched it, you could lure in the musical haters with Willy Wonka and then they're in there for like the, the real yeah. full-blown. There you go. Yeah, because they, they, those, those haters might not be around for the old, uh, old three-hour event there. To make it yeah, all yeah. the way through to get to Willy Wonka. Yeah, <laughs> I, more class I, I like all of her stuff in that one too. More class, more class structure stuff in that, and and kid, great kid acting in that one too. Yeah, yeah, that's true, and, and a l- less fantastical, but yeah, there's a lot of sync up there. I I really like that, and I like Oliver quite a bit. I'll have to go through my list. I can't even remember if it's in our book or not. If we will get to do an episode on it someday, but also great songs, like really, really strong musical numbers on that. So this is a good pick, man. Yeah, and, and one last thing on it, too, just one last thing on it, too, is is Carol Reed is like a noir director who had yeah. never done a musical before. So to watch someone who is really not in the genre tackle that genre, very cool, very cool experience, going and knowing that. But yeah, so that's that's where I went. It's a, it, I love seeing directors that can kind of bust out of that. Too bad Mel Stewart could never really uh, make really anything else. That guy had an obscure career, mostly in TV, so... Yeah. Um. Any, anyways, I I digress. Uh. So my double feature, I had two. So I'm not going with it, but just to, I can't resist laying out. I I almost went with Pinocchio for the, the 1940 Disney cartoon. Um. For the the moralizing aspect, and I I love Pinocchio. Excited to do a show on it someday. But I actually think I'm gonna go. Um. Just because once I get into Roll Doll World, I just love to stay there and roll around in it. So I'm actually picking. Matilda from uh, the mid '90s from Danny DeVito, who I think's had a really interesting directorial career. This is another one I got to revisit, both book and movie, and I think Matilda has become my favorite Roald Dahl book. And the movie surprisingly delivered for me. It is, uh, it's not groundbreaking. I don't think it reaches like the definitive uh, iconic status Willy Wonka is, but um, it has the incomparable Mara Wilson as Matilda, which is. We're talking about Gene Wilder as great casting as Willy Wonka. I mean, she's she is Matilda now. Like, how dare anybody else think that they're Matilda? But uh, you know, again, another fairy tale esque story that the movie kind of grounds in reality a little bit more about uh, put upon w- wonderful child um, growing up in this world of harsh adults and a, a bit of magic, a bit of imagination. Kids taking the power back, for lack of a better phrase. Um, it was it was really fun, and I think if I'm going with Willy Wonka as a must see for um, you know the studio era family film, Matilda's scratching that '90s kids nostalgia itch too. So we'll go with a Roll Doll double feature with me. I'm pairing Willy Wonka with Matilda. Love it, and and she was uh, uh, in this is Doubtfire too, right? That was her, yeah. her other big uh, her big spot. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, the great, great uh, I haven't seen that since. Since it came out, but love Danny DeVito in, in every way. Another cuckoo's nest connection there. Yeah, yeah, and he's he's good. He he does make one mistake in Matilda. He he and uh, his then wife Rhea Perlman play the the terrible parents beautifully. They're wonderful. He also narrates the movie, and I, I think that's the mistake because the narration is very 
sympathetic. It's on Matilda's side. It's it's magic and wonder. And that's, this is nothing against Danny DeVito's voice. It's just like you can't have the voice of the terrible father also being the the, the voice yeah. of the fairy godmother kind of, you know. So I think he should have hired somebody else to do the narration. But other than that, really surprisingly good time. Like it ended and I was like, a good movie. I like Matilda. Yeah, that's been a long time since I've revisited that one. But yeah, that yeah, that, that is that is a funny concept, having a character in the movie be have be the narrator as a separate character. Very 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 interesting. Very polar opposite. Should have should have yeah. hired Ray Liotta or something, you know. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it would've been great. I'd love to hear Ray Liotta's soft assuring <laughs> voice. I'd like to see him take a crack at that. <laughs> that's it. All right, man. Well, we'll we'll start wrapping it up here. So with the double features, that's going to lead us uh into my one of my favorite parts of the week on Thursday. We're going to throw it out on our Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram pages for you guys to tell us what you'd throw into a feature with Willy Wonka. I love to get the recommendations to throw on my watch list. And that is going to get you guys primed for Friday when we are going to throw out the official poll for you all to decide if Willy Wonka is going to make Cinemust or if it's nice, it's quaint, it's a good kids movie, but it's not quite essential cinema. So be on the lookout on those social media pages. Again, just search for Cinemust. You'll find us Thursday's double feature recommendations. Friday is the big vote, and that runs through uh, Sunday afternoon. So you got a little time too. Um, Kieran, man, thank you so much for bringing the movie. It's it was a ton of fun. You know, last week was pretty heavy with Oxbow incident talking justice and how we interpret the law. Next week is uh, going to be pretty heavy with problematic issues of representation so Willy Wonka here in the middle was a great palate cleanser a really good time and a a nice surprise for me that like my nostalgia wasn't just pumping this movie up that it actually was pretty delightful and holds up on a lot of levels for sure man it was an absolute blast you know thanks for having me it was uh it's it's good to talk to you and be on with this for for sure and had a blast and yeah Willy Wonka go out and check it out if you haven't seen it in a while because that's just that's the other thing too it's there's people who've seen it and there's people who haven't seen it in a while. So go and revisit if it's been if it's been a decade or more. Yeah, we can both we actually both attest to that. It's a good call. Try to get a try to get a viewing in here recently if it's been a long time since you've seen it. So if you got kids, watch it with them. I think they'll have a good time. So with that, let's uh let's shut her down here. So Kieran, thank you again for coming on and letting me siphon off all your great talents, your great critical readings. I'd love to have you back if you feel down for it. Before that, though, and in the meantime, if people want to hear more of what you got to say, remind us one more time, where can we find the Best Picture cast? Best Picture cast, it's wherever the podcasts are streaming. Uh, we're on Twitter, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Letterboxd, at Best Picture Cast, three words. And yeah, check us out. You know, we, we, have, we don't take ourselves too seriously. We have a lot of fun uh, picking apart these things and, and cracking up about it, so... Uh, check us out. We're we're easy to to we're easy to access. We are accessible. Very Wonka esque approach to take. Um, do you know what's coming up next for you guys? We can plug. Yeah. So the week that this drops, I think we're dropping our Grand Hotel episode. It's an early uh, early thirties joint, and we have uh, as you brought up, Chariots of Fire. Very exciting and thrilling Best Picture winner that is on the top of every <laughs> best movie, everyone's favorite movie list for sure. So. <laughs> not your favorite movie mike no. yeah i'm excited to hear your show uh you guys probably know um our, our other oscar contenders maggie and ian running the best pictures podcast just had me on to talk uh, my all-time favorite movie raiders of the lost ark which lost to chariots of fire and i think i spent about half that episode talking about how much i hate chariots of fire more than i love raiders so i'm, I'm excited to hear what you guys have to say about it kieran yeah not the most exciting 
winner or movie that was made, period. (laughs) So everybody, please go check out Kieran at the Best Picture cast. For those episodes, they got a great backlog of stuff on very prolific, amazing movies, some of which we've covered. Particularly enjoy your guys' show on Chicago. Um, So yeah, Best Pictures cast, go check them out. Next week is Grand Hotel. And um, thanks for joining us here on Cinemus. We hope you'll join us next week. As I'd mentioned, it is a kind of a heady or a heavy episode. We're talking. Uh, we're going to welcome back Jeffrey Crisp, who chose a very early movie in Frank Capra's career, "The Bitter Tea of General Yen." This is a very passionate episode. As I'd mentioned, there's a lot of problematic issues of representation of Asian characters and Orientalism. So if those are things that sound uh, a little too heady or uh, offensive, we we tackle them with sensitivity. But uh, if those are things that maybe trigger you, you may want to skip us next week. But we if you feel up to it. We'd love to have you join us for the bitter tea of General Yan. It was a really enlightening discussion. But again, Kieran, man, thank you so much. Any final words you'd like to say? No, we have so much time and so little to do. Oh. Strike that, reverse it. We're out of time. Um, that's that's uh, that's all, man. I, I anytime you want me back, I'll be talk about any movie you want to pick out of the book. It doesn't have to be my favorite next time. I promise. Sounds good. Although next time I'm a little deaf in this year, you have to speak a little louder when you talk. <laughs> all right. Thanks, thanks, man, and thank you everybody for listening. We'll see you next week. Don't stop searching for those golden tickets. Mm-hmm.